All right. Um, we are uh, working our way through the Gospel of John right now. Uh, and, and I might have slides that work or I might not. I'm uh, apparently at the end of that. Um, can you change the... Uh, I guess my wife didn't put the sermon slides into the stack. Um, um, hopefully they're somewhere. Um, or this will be a very... Uh, uh, you'll have to look at the paper copy instead of looking up front for the Bible. Um, we are working through John, um, and, and sort of the objective, um, and, and if I can explain it real quick, like the objective with John, um, the reason we're kind of working through it is um, it's easy to do topical series, and then I kind of steer what we learn about. Um, everybody with me? Um, I, I have, a, have a huge preference for uh, check in iCloud, open up the uh, Finder and check in iCloud. Um, I have this huge preference for letting the Bible decide what we learn. Does that make sense? And so it's not me saying, oh, hey, this is what we're going to do today. It's, you know, hey, look what John decided we should learn. And, and so that's sort of my objective here as we sort of, as we sort of work through John. And um, we are, we looked at, you know, the beginning of John 3 um, and, and sort of this discussion that Jesus has with um, um, a, a Jewish teacher. I'm very tired today, guys, so if I'm a little... Uh, slow on the uptake for things. That's my apology. I, I, uh, I stayed up too late doing whatever last night. And so, um, so John um, starts off with this Jesus debating with this Jewish teacher, and he talks about how we need to be born again, how we literally need to become sort of new in order to be, um, in order to be uh, uh, sort of in God's kingdom, in order to like gain eternal life and, and, um, John adds a whole discussion about, like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Everybody's heard that verse? Not a new one? Um, and, and so, like, that was sort of this toss-in. Like, John explains what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, hey, i gotta, I got to be raised up, like crucified. And, and then John explains, well, this is because God sent his son to save the world. Um, and, and so that's where we're picking up, like, right as that conversation ends, Jesus goes out, and we're going to do 22 to 30. Hey, look at that. Um, I can't see when it comes up, so I, yeah. Um, but I do have an illustration I want to talk about for a minute. Um, um, in an archaeological dig somewhere, they find these, um, and those of you guys who are under a certain age will have no idea what they are. Um, this, is, this is what's called a record, teenagers. Um, a record is a little like a CD, um, and, and way back when, when we weren't hunting dinosaurs, um, music came on these things, um, and, and this is a, uh, this is a George Harrison album, and I, uh, I have it in my office because, uh, one of the songs on this album, uh, this box set, uh, was, was in a wedding I did, um, early in the summer, and, and I, so I listened to the, the, this particular song several times. But um, I have quite a record collection. Does anybody here, like, own records at some point, have some idea what they are? Um, records are interesting, and they, they kind of carry a higher quality sound than, than CDs do, which is sort of weird, except for that pop and crackle and everything. Like, <laughs> but as far as, like, the full range, they can carry a higher range of sound because the sound is literally imprinted on the vinyl, right? Like the, the sound itself like is in little grooves and vibrations and it is pressed into 
um, the record. And all that happens when you put it on a record player is that the needle reads what's physically there. Like, so what is present on the album is what comes out the speakers. Um, and, and so, like, when you look at a record, and I love records. I mean, I actually kind of love records just for the fact that they're records. I have this crazy love for, like, old technology and how they did things and everything else. But um, um, that's not really the point, right? You don't have records because they're records. You know, you don't have them because it's a thing that I have. You have them because you kind of like George Harrison and like to listen to his music, right? I, I've got a Johnny Cash album in my office that I listen to several times um, um, a week, and, and, I, and I love the album. And that's why I have it, not because I enjoy having this old technology. Otherwise, I'd be a hipster and I'd have to apologize. Um, but because I, because I like Johnny Cash, right? And it sounds better that way. And, and so as we kind of look at John uh, 3, 22 to 30, I want you to kind of think about it from this perspective, right? Um, the record is not the point unto itself, right? The image imprinted on the record is the point, right? The record itself is just a piece of plastic. Um, what makes the record worth having is the sound that comes out of your speakers, right? Um, um, you know, it, in fact, it's not even just like, this is George Harrison. He was one of the Beatles. For those of you guys who are young, that was a boy band once upon a time. Um, and, and it's not even because of the pictures, right? It's not any of that stuff. It's the sound. It's, it's the image imprinted on. Um, and so as we jump into John 23, 22, um, um, we're, we're looking at John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is kind of an interesting figure in the Bible. He is a prophet, and he's actually kind of the last Old Testament prophet, some writers call him. Um, but specifically, that's like the before Jesus prophets. And he is the guy whose job it was to prepare the way. He's kind of the greatest of all the prophets. Um, and, and he's a little strange, right? He's eccentric. He wears camel hair clothing, which is not very comfortable. And he eats locusts and honey. Um, and what that is, is like it's talking about this idea that he lives this very, like, toned down life. He's not wearing designer clothes. He's not dressed in comfort. He's not eating rich foods. He's, he's living just in the most basic and like selfless ways. And he's preaching about like repentance and about the coming of the kingdom of God and about this Messiah. Right. And so that's John. He's out there. And John is such a big name that his name turns up in all kinds of literature in the old, you know, in the ancient world. He's mentioned, you know, by various writers, and, and he had this huge influence, and there were a lot of people who were afraid of him. The king was afraid of him. The king eventually had John's head cut off because John kept pointing out, hey, you know what, you're married to your brother's wife. Hey, you're <laughs> sleeping with your brother's wife. Hey, you're doing, you know, and, and you talk bad about an ancient king, and they would tend to, you know, cut it off. Um, John's head, he was served up on a silver platter. Um, and so John is this big, influential, like scary, um, even preacher, and and you know very in your face, very saying what you want, whatever he wants. And so John kind of dives into this connection between Jesus and John, and and he's mentioned him before. And and so here we go. We got after this. So after he's done talking to uh, uh, Nicodemus, um, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon, near Salem, 
uh, because water was plentiful there and because people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Um, Now watch this. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem. Um, He was there uh, um, for, for the Passover and for teaching and stuff like that. And he leaves the city and he goes south. And um, he goes to this place where John is. And the, the city that is named is um, Salem, which, I, no, Anon, excuse me. Anon is, it basically means springs, right? So they name the town after water. It's a big desert country. And so, like, they're in one of the places that has water and they're doing this baptizing. And John mentions, hey, John hadn't gone to jail yet. John the disciple mentions, hey, John the Baptist hasn't gone to jail yet. The reason he does that is um, they're south, right? At this point in time, Jesus has traveled south. This is the earliest recorded bit of ministry work that we get from Jesus. Because like, normally Jesus would minister in the north in Galilee. And so John mentions this, hey, John's not in jail yet, to kind of clarify the timeline for later readers. Because... Um, John wrote his gospel way late. The other three were written kind of before 60 A.D., and John wrote his like in the 90s A.D. He was a teenager probably during the life of Jesus, and he is very old when he writes this. And so he kind of fills in. He's like, hey, before all that other stuff, we see this encounter between John and Jesus. It's worth noting. Um, and, and kind of a quick bit of understanding about baptism. I know I'm kind of going along with this, but it's a lot of backstory that's interesting and has value later. Um, this is not baptizing like we do it. Everybody with me? I mean, they're dunking in water. The basic elements are there. But this is a baptism of repentance, probably. It's not like, hey, you're dying to your old life and coming to life anew, right? This is, hey, be washed of your sins, and Jesus isn't baptizing it's just his disciples. That's in chapter 4. It mentions this, that the disciples are doing all the work. And this baptism is associated with all this Old Testament stuff where um, you had to cleanse yourself on a regular basis. And, and um, actually that became an argument. That's where the next verse goes, 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, or and several Jews over purification, depending on how you read the text there. Um, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So now they have this discussion and this argument breaks out and they're like, well, why are you even baptizing folks? And the disciples are like, oh, well, it's because of this or because this. And they're discussing and debating and arguing. And then all of a sudden, sort of the, uh, the thinking generally is that all of a sudden the disciples are like, wait a minute. How long is this going to last? Right? Because we're doing this purification thing, and it's not entirely clear. Some of these guys don't understand it. What are we doing? And they start looking around, and they're like, but wait a minute. This other fella that John baptized, this Jesus guy, he's doing ministry, and our guys are leaving and going to him. So there's this, what's our point? And then they start backing up and say, wait a minute. How long is this going to go? Anybody ever been part of something big? Like a big movement or a big, you know, excitement that takes place and everybody starts taking up the cause and there's things going on and there's energy. I, uh, I've been here for three years and I have probably three dozen times heard about, um, oh, what was that? Stand in the Gap. That was the men's thing a few years ago. Um, what am I talking about? Promise Keepers. And there's huge Bible studies that happened after Promise Keepers, and there's all this other stuff. And over the years, like, some of the energy around that has sort of waned. 
And there are still small groups of guys that meet, and they'll talk about, well, remember when? You know, all these guys went to Promise Keeper, and they were so excited when they came back, and all this good stuff was going on, and, and we're, we're, we're what's left. And, and I'm thinking John's guys are here, and they're saying, well, hey, our crowds are getting smaller, right? Hey, people are beginning to question what we're doing. They're not quite sure why we're doing what we're doing. And, and they're leaving us. What, what's going on? And they approach John, and there's two ways to read this. Either they're very excited about Jesus, saying, hey, look, that's happening, or they're kind of getting bitter. And the way John responds, it implies these guys are getting bitter. They're saying, we had a crowd. We were doing awesome stuff. Look at this cool thing that was going on. Now that guy's stealing our thunder. I left my house. I left my job to do all this. Like, I'm following you having left everything behind. Like, what gives? Is this going to end? Is this about to go away? And they're looking at... I mean, because they're a part of something God is doing. And that's exciting, right? I mean, that is a hugely exciting thing to be able to say, I am, like, serving God in something that is actually taking place, something that is moving, something that is, you know, and people sometimes look for that. Christian folks look for that. I had a, a years ago when I first started in youth ministry, we had, like, half a dozen kids come into our youth group at the one church. And I had a kid who approached me from, like, a neighboring community and said, I want to be a part of your, your youth ministry. And, and I want to sit down and talk with you. And I met with him, and we were talking, and I said, well, you know, these are the things we're doing. These are the things we're firing up. This is the new work we're doing. And, and this, there's, it, was, it was a young teenager, and this teenager says, well, that's fantastic. That's so exciting. How many kids are there? I don't know, a dozen, two dozen? And, like, that reaction, like, changed. And all of a sudden it was, well, I was looking for something a little bigger. And that was the end of it, Right? And then actually, like two years later, we were running 300 kids through the church every week. And it was this huge ministry. And I never heard from that teenager again. But, like, there's this sort of desire. Well, I want to be a part of something big, not help build something big. I want to be a part of something big. And these guys are a part of something big. And they're looking and they're like, John, what's going on? It's, it's going away. It's slipping through our fingers. How do we recapture this? And, and this is important because um, what they're doing specifically is called coveting. You guys familiar with this word? So when you look at something that belongs to someone else and you say, man, I wish that was mine, right? Man, I wish I had that Rolls Royce. Man, I wish I had that, you know, like these, these things we wish we had. And we look and we desire and we say, this is what I want. You know, and you see this with, you know, married couples quite often. They'll look at, you know, the neighbor's marriage and they'll say, hey, you know what? That guy... His wife brings him sandwiches while he's watching TV, right? Or that husband, he hasn't gained 40 pounds since they got married. That wife, you know, she does these things. That husband, he still mows the lawn. That, you know, oh, wow, their kids. Has anybody done this, by the way? John, I mean, Jeremy is sleeping on the couch tonight. Um, <laughs> the... But there's sort of this mindset, and even with cars, and, and I'm guessing I don't know anything about farm equipment, and you all look at the neighbor's farm equipment and say, man, I wish I didn't have to fix my combine three times a week during harvest. I'm assuming, I don't know anything about farm equipment, I'm, you know, man, I wish my life was like that. And they're looking and they're saying, our ministry was like rocking, and now it's not. Now that guy, he's got the following. 
And is that about God then? What do you guys think? Is that looking and saying, man, our ministry was rock and roll, but this Jesus guy that John was prophesying about, he's got a crowd now. It's not really about God at that point, right? They sort of said, well, you mentioned him. You gave him his start. But what gives? And so they're they're frustrated. They're angry. And John responds. John is a tough guy, by the way. Anybody who eats locusts, you should take him seriously. Um, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. There's a longer response. We're going to take it in bits. And basically what he gives is like an, an, an aphorism. I'm pronouncing that wrong, but it's, it's like a saying. You, you guys know sayings, right? We have a few of them in our culture. You know, bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? Um, or, uh, um, well, just not, or judge not lest. You'd be judged. Do you know there's a whole chapter attached to that? It's not just that one line. <laughs> the, uh, he he kind of tosses this out. He says, listen, if God's in control, right? If God's in control, everything I get or don't get comes from God. And so, like, this is where John starts. He says, hey, guys, you're upset. You're worried because we were given this thing but it's really God that's doing it. And so the crowds that showed up and followed us were a precursor to Jesus because actually we learned that in the Old Testament. John's job was to prepare the way, meaning John went and preached all over and huge crowds started following him. And then all of a sudden these huge pre-made crowds who were thinking about repenting and thinking about the kingdom of God coming near and folks in the religious like leadership and the government and everything else are talking about John. They're like, this John guy. And then Jesus shows up. And it's, it's, it's like the groundwork has been laid, right? And so John says, hey, I was the ground layer. Nobody gets anything if God doesn't give it to them. Now watch this. Um, I had a conversation with uh, Mike Kastner actually last night. Mike is, has, has an amazing knowledge of electronics and music and stuff like that. And we were talking about records. There's, he told me that um, at one point in time there was only one plant in the country that made records, um, like like it just declined, and the records they made though, watch this, were blank. Right, there was nothing on them, and those blank records were they worth having? Like in the sense that they were a commodity, but if I bought one in a store, I would be pretty ticked off. Right? Hey, it's a blank record. Nothing on the record has value until. Someone comes along and presses the sound into it. The real value comes externally as something of value is inflicted on the record, and then music comes out, um, or noise, depending on how old you are and how young the people playing the music are. Um, Most of it's noise now. That's all I know. Um, So as we look at what John's response is, he says, listen, I got nothing without. I'm a blank record without. Right? Everybody with me still? Everybody still awake? Um, We go on to 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So he stops and he says, you guys know the truth here. You guys know what's going on. I've been saying all along, I'm not the man. I'm just pointing at the man. 
right? I'm preparing the way. I'm paving the road. I'm, I'm doing all of these things. Like the sound that was coming out of John is what was worth hearing, not John himself, right? John himself is not the weight of it. Um, I stand up here having just been giving a, a gift. I assume I haven't opened the envelope yet. Um, an appreciation. But I will tell you, I am a statue with clay feet. There was somebody who told me that recently, that, that phrase. Like, I, you know, even when I do things well, I'm a man. And that means I'm fallen. It means the only things that I do that are worth doing, thank you. Um, the only things that I do that are worth doing are, are a product of Jesus pressed into my life. And that pointing to Jesus that comes out of me. And the same is true of all of you. The same is true of like any preacher that you listen to. I, I teased Jeremy about his, his crush on Matt Chandler. He's this big preacher down in Texas. And uh, it is a crush. I'm sorry. Um, but <laughs> but um, Matt Chandler is a man pointing to Jesus, right? If he stops and starts pointing at Matt Chandler, what's the problem? pointing at the wrong thing. Um, and so John backs up and he says, listen, I'm not the Christ. I'm not this person that God is sending to save you guys. I'm not God's chosen person. I'm only here for this. Um, don't worship the record. Worship the music, right? And so we go on. John keeps going, and you think these guys are probably shrinking now. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Um, Mark, do you have a best man yet? Who is it? Okay, so you have a best man. It is Matt, right? Do you think Matt will be happy if the wedding goes well? Probably, right? I, who is the best man for Daniel? Joel. I don't know Joel. I met, must have met him. Was Joel, like, did he have responsibilities for making sure the thing went well? Um, the best man in the ancient world was the man who followed along with the groom and made sure that the details happened. They had wedding planners back then, only it was a much manlier profession, apparently. Um, and so this, this groom is Jesus, Right? And the best man comes along, and his job is not to be the groom. Is the marriage about the best man? Hope not, <laughs> right? Um, the marriage isn't about the best man. The marriage is about the groom and the bride. and the Actually, it's really about the bride and her mother. But anyway, um, <laughs> the, the, the wedding is not about the best man. And if we make it about the best man, we have a problem. Because we're losing sight of the purpose and the beauty and like this awesome thing that's taking place. Um, when I, my brother got married, I, I was the best man at my brother's wedding. And I had to plan this like uh, a toast. And, and I, I wrote this just to mess with like his now wife's mother. I wrote a very long, fairly offensive speech to give it the... And, and, and she was freaked out. And it became this whole thing where their family was talking about, like, is he going to do that? Oh, my gosh, I can't believe, is he going to really do that? And, I mean, it was so tasteless and awful. I couldn't believe that they even thought I would. But, like, I, there was a point in time where my brother pulled me aside. And he's like, Eric, you probably need to cut it out because, you know, it, it's, not about, it's not about you today, okay? And I was like, okay, I'll stop, you know. And, and I, apparently if I get a joke... I, I can't let it go. 
nice hair. Um, <laughs> but it's not about me that day. It's not about me. And John is saying, hey, it's not about me. It's about the wedding. Now, there's a whole lot of Old Testament, like, imagery for the Christ, like God is going to send his man and he is going to be the groom to like his people and his people will be the bride. Like the church is the bride of Christ. In the Old Testament, we see that. Um, you want to read a really tough book, Hosea? Has anybody read that one? Hosea is the story about a prophet who married a prostitute. God said, marry that woman. Her name was Gomer. I probably upset him too. I, sorry. Um, and, and she, you know, he fell in love with her, and then she just cheated on him over and over and over and over and over again and ran away, and he bought her out of slavery over and over again. They had several kids, and they got names like, this is not my son. <laughs> it's a bad sign, you know. Like you, John, I mean, Hosea wasn't happy about it, but he agonized. And God comes back to him and says, Hosea, understand this. Understand this. When my people run off and chase after things that are not me, that is the same hurt you're feeling, right? My people cheat on me with other gods and they chase after their own interests. They covet things that aren't theirs. All of these things. And it's, it's, that's what it's like for me. And so like, like we get this image of God being this like, like loving groom and his, and his bride chasing after things that are crazy and not him. And, and so like, like all over, that's one instance, I'm just tossing it out there. And the reason I'm tossing it out there is because um, this is sort of the opposite, where the groom has arrived and John is the groomsman, the best man. And John is standing there saying, ain't about me today, guys. It's about him, right? I'm only the record. Listen to the music, folks. I'm only the carrier of the image. My ministry is just this thing that points to Jesus. It is not an ends in itself. Um, last line, and if you have the time, this whole section is huge, but this one line, um, write it on your hand and look at it. Memorize it. Tack it on your wall. Look at it every day. This is one of the most central, like, amazing lines I think that we get in the Gospels. Um, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, what he's talking about here, watch this. Um, first off, obviously, he's talking about the ministry. He's saying, listen, my following needs to get smaller because he is the point. I may have showed up first. I may have prepared the way, but I was preparing the way for this. It's not about what I want. It's about what God has going on. If John were to look at Jesus and become jealous and say, I should be the one who gets the attention, then he'd be failing in his job, right? And not only that, he would be desiring this attention that is owed to, owed to Jesus, owed to God. You know, this glory that comes about by Jesus dying for our sins, which is a recurring theme in John. Like John talks about this idea that Jesus' shame, his, his abuse, his you know, hanging naked on this cross, like bleeding out for our sins, like is this glory of obedience and God's mercy and everything else. And John looks at God's mercy and Jesus' like willingness to obey because of his love, like enormous, enormous love for us. And he says, that's got to be the point, folks. That's it. That's what it's about. It's not about me. And so like years ago I had this realization about this passage about following Jesus, period, um, 
the more we learn this, the better life gets. You understand me? Um, It is so easy, especially in our culture, that tells you, you deserve it, right? Or if this makes me happy, surely God wouldn't complain, right? Or if you mistreat me, I'm allowed to hit you back and abuse you back, right? Um, And Jesus comes along and says, nope, we're going to change the story. We're going to change the whole thing. It's not about you. The more every day, the more every day we learn to put ourselves over here and put Jesus over here, the more we learn to reflect the imprinted music in our lives, right? The more we carry his teachings, the more we love selflessly, the more we live holy, the more we, you know, everything we do, um, the more we become what we were made to be. Um, I was talking with um, Joel this morning. Joel is visiting. Hi, Joel. Um, from from Belfast, or Ireland, from Ireland period. He goes to school in Belfast. And we were talking about this movie, 71. Um, and I have not seen it yet, but I'm going to watch it maybe today. Um, but it's about this, like these riots that took place in Belfast between the Catholics and the Protestants, right? And cover your ears, I don't know like where your politics or beliefs are. I don't want to offend you. Um, like we all follow Jesus. Everybody with me? <laughs> right? Catholics and Protestants, they follow Jesus. Um, The objective of both faiths is to become more like Christ. That is what we are here for, to point to him. When Church of God or Catholic Church or these Protestants or that Protestants or this or that or the other, anything gets bigger than Jesus, speaking of Beatles albums, um, when it gets bigger than Jesus in our minds and hearts, we've lost our way because our objective is to become like him. What does that look like? That looks like... And you all have children or are married, in which case, you know, Samantha has a kid. That's Mark. Um, (laughs) When we enter relationships like this, things that God designed to operate a certain way, we become less, they become more. Right? You wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and there's screaming in the other room. And you have to get out of bed and you say, oh, my gosh, I don't want to get out of bed. Oh, my gosh, didn't I feed you half an hour ago? Oh my gosh, you're not even hungry and you don't need diapers and you don't need this. What's going on? You know, and you still get up, don't you? Do you stop loving the baby? No. You do it because you love them. Because part of you gets smaller as part of them takes a more prominent spot. This is the template for how Christ designed our relationships. My wife drives me nuts someday. She is not here. She's with the sick kid at home. Um, and so I can say whatever I want. It is recorded. But some days she drives me nuts and I still love her because it's not about me, right? It's about Christ in me. And Christ in me says love her anyway, right? My neighbors sometimes, you know, in my lifetime I haven't liked all of them. Still have to love my neighbor because... It's not about my rights to hate them or to fight with them or whatever. It's about the imprint of Jesus in my life and what comes out of it. Um, I respect the folks who live at the home or work at the home and work with the guys there because there's an awful lot of selflessness that takes place. Anytime we go out and we serve Christ in this world, anytime we like wake up in the morning, we say, how do I make Jesus bigger and me smaller? We become more like what we're supposed to be. 
If you chase after things that aren't him and God takes them away, you are blessed beyond words. Boy, that's an awful thing. And I, it sounds hard. But the reality is anything that gets in the way of you chasing after Jesus as this number one thing, him becoming more, you becoming less, like becomes an idol. And it's a blessing to have idols taken away. It hurts, right? <laughs> Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> hurts, hurts, hurts. But ultimately, the blessing that comes with Jesus being more and us being less is huge. It defies description. Because when we become like Christ, first off, we help glorify God, which is the best thing you can do. It's what you were created to do. Um, You weren't created to have fun or to make money or to collect toys or to um, be good looking, though some of us have it naturally. Um, Not me, I'm kidding. Um, You were created to glorify God. And so, like, I'm going to close today. I'm, I'm a little scattered, and I think I'm um, – I, I, if I'm going to drive one point home today, if you're going to walk out of here and say, man, I slept through most of that, but the one thing I heard, Jim, <laughs> but the one thing I heard, right, less of me, more of him. Put away part of me every day. Pick up a part of him every day. Um, as I deal with my wife or, or my kids or my neighbor or anyone else, right? More of Jesus, less of me. As I deal with loss, I look and say, more of Jesus, less of me. As I look at my idols, I say, God, take away anything I might worship that isn't you or make it clear to me so I can change. More of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. Because it's about the music of God's love, Christ's death for us, like our salvation in this world, like That is what it's about. It's not about this church. It's not about the Halloween party. It's not about anything. It's about Jesus. Let's close in prayer, and I'll do a blessing. Heavenly Father.